0: Amen. As you return back to your seats, just encourage somebody, shake somebody's hand, give them some love. I feel the presence of God today, ladies and gentlemen. I feel his love today, amen. Can you sense it here today? Come on, put your hands together and thank God. He's not far off. He's with us now, amen. If it's your first time with us today, we welcome you and we thank God for you. Typically, we're not this... um, I don't feel rushed, but uh, we've got to get outside and baptize people today. I'm excited to celebrate with you. And What we are doing is we are following in the obedience of Jesus. Jesus was baptized according to Matthew chapter 3. He had no reason to be baptized. He was sinless. He was born sinless. The, The virgin birth guaranteed that he would not be born into sin the way the rest of us are. That's why he had to be born of a virgin and not of a man. Because sin is passed down through a man. His father is sinless, God the Father. And so Jesus, knowing that he was sinless, still said, I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Obedience. I know we hate this word in America, obedience. But my God, things would be so much better if we would just learn to obey our parents, obey the word of God, obey those that rule over us like the scriptures teach us to. Here's what it comes down to. Jesus was baptized, not because he was a sinner, but because he was fulfilling all righteousness. So what we are doing today is we are following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior by being obedient to fulfill our righteousness. So at the end of this service, we're going to bring our brothers and sisters up who have made that decision today, and we're going to celebrate them. they are going to take them outside, and I'm going to dunk them under the water. Some of them I'm going to hold down there a little bit longer because they might need it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and then ultimately, we're going to celebrate the new life they have in Jesus Christ. Amen. But before we get there, I'm glad you're with us today and we're in kind of in the middle of a sermon series right now called embrace yourself we're we're focused on the life of Samson and maybe you're familiar with with Samson he's the the superhero of the bible if you will the guy who had supernatural strength i mean just he could do impossible things when the spirit of the lord came upon him uh one time in particular he took the jawbone of a of a donkey and he and he killed he killed 1000 Philistines, his enemies, one thousand, all by himself. It's just, it's, it's, it's wild when you when you try to wrap your mind around it. But that's what he did, and and so what we want to do here today, just for a few moments, is I want to speak a little bit more about Samson, and specifically to those you who are getting baptized, because I believe if we can learn from anyone in the Bible, as we start this journey and our walk with Christ, we can learn from somebody who knew what it was to be a constant failure in Scripture. To make one bad decision after another and still find the grace of God available to his life. Woo! I'm just a living testimony of the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, somebody testify today. I've made some royal mistakes in my life and his grace is still greater than every bad decision I've ever made. So we see this man named Samson and from his birth, he was set apart unto God. It was called the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow just simply meant that he could not drink any alcohol. Anything alcoholic could not touch his lips. Um, He could not touch anything that was dead. And ultimately, he could not cut his hair. He had to continue to grow. It was just the sign, the symbolism that he had taken the Nazarite vow, that he belonged to God. And so what we see in this story is time and time again, while he's doing these awesome superhuman feats, he's also making these just dumb decisions as a as a man, as a, a man who's called by God, who's supposed to be separated unto God, but still making dumb choices. So, let's pick it up in probably a familiar story for for most of you. Let's go to Judges chapter sixteen. You probably know this this part about Samson anyway. It tells us this, uh, and forgive me if there's any children still in the room, but right before this, it tells us that he went down and he found a, a Philistine prostitute, and he, you know, he. he he did what you do with a prostitute, I guess. That's the Bible. I, I love the Bible. See, I'm surprised you don't all read this bad boy. Okay, you're looking for all this dirty stuff on TV. Just read the Bible. It's there. Okay, <laughs> just crazy stuff is in there. But after he sleeps with this prostitute, the, the, the men of that area, Gaz, are, are, are laying in wait, ready to, to, to kill him the next morning. And somehow he wakes up in the middle of the night and, and, and he sneaks out of town. But before he leaves, he pulls their gates, the, the doors off their gates and carries it. Some massive doors, carries it 40 miles away just to show off his I don't know, supernatural strength, I guess. Yeah. So here's what happens in, in verse 4. We pick up probably where you're familiar with the story. It says this. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines went to her and said, entice him and find out the source of his great strength and how we can overpower him to tie him up and subdue him. And each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now I'll talk about this some more uh, next week, but... One time in my life, I used to judge this girl, right? I just, I just, come on, Delilah. You just, you just a lying, manipulating little, but, but hold on a second. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Girl. Each, not not, not just 1,100, each one of us, I don't even know how many there were. She was about to get the payday she'd been looking for her whole life. Okay. So I, I don't judge her anymore. It's like, you know what? clearly you didn't love this dude as much as we thought you did. Uh, And you were getting paid. So, okay, at least I can understand why she did what she did. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me the source of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And here's what happened. Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna skip ahead here, but here's what happened. Three different times she asks him, and three different times he lies to her. And then three different times she comes back all upset with, you, how could you say you love me when you, you sit here lied to me? Where really is the source? And see, if I'm Samson after like the third time, I might catch on. This girl's trying to do something here, right? But because he was captivated by her, enamored with her, enthralled with her. Here's what happens in verse 15. She says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? This is the third time you have mocked me and failed to reveal to me the source of your great strength. Check this out, verse 16. Finally, after she had pressed him daily, woo, good Lord. Married women, I don't encourage you to do this when you're trying to get your husband to fix the sink or the, or the toilet or get things done, but, but look what happened here. After she pressed him daily with her words and pleaded until he was sick to death, Samson finally told her, all that was in his heart. Can I just establish this here by, by just letting you know that we are to never confuse love with manipulation. Okay. Do not do that in your relationships. Well, if you love me, then you'll do what I want. You'll do what I say. Love and manipulation are two different things. Delilah is, is pressing him constantly. She's like, look, if you love me, then why won't you confide in me? Whew. Okay. I, I can confide in you. When I trust you, not when I love you. Wait, we say what? Come on, ladies and gentlemen. I've I've had to learn the hard way not to mistake trusting with loving. There's a lot of people I love, but I don't trust them. Why won't you confide in me? The reason Sam's didn't confide in her is because initially he didn't trust her. But he got to the point, well, okay, I, I I guess I guess I'm gonna just I'm gonna give her. What she, needs, what she wants from me. But not because I love her. Because I'm being manipulated. There's a difference between loving and trusting. And I just, I just want to tell you this. Today, because of the story with Samson and Delilah. And how it plays out. How she was finally able to get the truth from him. How he finally revealed the secret. The thing that was supposed to be kept between him and God. He, he gave it to her. Willfully and freely. I want you to see in this story that it took time didn't happen right away. Slowly, she began to e- e- erode that covenant with him and God. And, and, and very slowly, he was no longer surrendered to God's will, but now to the will of someone who was manipulating him. And so in the immortal words of Roberta Fleck and Lauren Hill, I'm going to subject this, this service today. This thing is killing me softly. <laughs> but I want to begin today with, just with four statements. I'm going to have them on the screen. And this is for everyone in the room, but especially for those of you getting baptized today. These are four things I want you to know today. Number one, I want you to know that your presence on this planet has purpose. Okay. I, I'm not suggesting that, that, uh, That you don't go through struggles. I'm suggesting that you're here because there's a purpose. I'm suggesting that you are more than just some consequence of of cosmic coincidence. I'm suggesting that you are more than just the result of a relational accident. I'm suggesting that just because maybe your parents didn't plan you and and no one knew you were going to arrive, I'm suggesting that there is a God who has been involved with your arrival But before you even showed up on this planet. I'll go so far to say even if you're the product of rape or Or incest or adultery or a one-night stand. If you're a product of a messy situation, I need you to know that God is not intimidated by messy things because I serve a God that can take messy and turn it into a miracle. Look at what happened with with what happened. Your presence on this planet has purpose. I want you to see what, what I mean exactly. Before Jesus is crucified in John 18 37, Pilate, the man who has the authority to crucify him, says to Jesus, are you a king then? And Jesus says, you say rightly that I am a king. Check this out. For this cause, I was born. Your purpose on this planet is proof by the fact that you're here. Your presence is proof. You have purpose. Jesus says, for this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. For this cause, I was born. Here's what Jesus is saying. Check it out. What he's saying is there was a cause before there was a Christ. He took the name Jesus when he showed up on earth. His eternal name has always been the Word. That's what he was always known as. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But he says, for this reason, Jesus was born for a cause. And I need you to know that Jesus had to be born for a reason, which means the reason existed before Jesus showed up on the planet. And part of your spiritual journey is just beginning to understand, here on earth, I need to discover the reason that existed Before I was born, your presence on this planet has purpose. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. The second thing I want to tell you is this. Your purpose is actually an answer to a problem. Any inventors in the house? Any inventors? Okay, Nobody. I just use everything else that someone else created. Cool. Yeah, cool. So do I. But periodically, I might write a song. I'll create something. The first song that I, I, I actually that I wrote at the piano was in response to a, a young man that I knew personally that was uh, gang-related death, shot in the face multiple times, left in the back seat of a car over by Waldo Middle School. And in response to a problem, I felt the prompting to write. And I, and I began to create. And, and what I've learned about creation is that it's always meant to address a problem that exists The problem of darkness, solved by the creation of the light bulb. The, the, the problem of transportation, solved by the creation of planes, trains and automobiles. I wouldn't suggest you watch it movie, but yeah, you know. Okay. The, 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 the problem of, 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 just, of, of health issues, certain health problems have been solved by the creation of modern medicine. The word became flesh, Jesus. The word took the name Jesus, became flesh, and he lived amongst us, which means he was here to solve a problem. Here's how it says in 1 John 3.8. It says, when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus shows up to solve our sin problems. See, there he is. There's the creation, if you will, the creation of something because we have a problem that needs to be solved. And what Adam broke when he ate from the wrong tree in the Garden of Eden, Jesus came and fixed when he gave his life on a tree at Calvary. When when Jesus breathed his last breath, he said something so profound. It was the last words he uttered from the cross. He said, it is Finished, Meaning, I fixed what I came to fix. I solved what I came to solve. I healed what I came to heal. I, I I defeated what I came to defeat. I destroyed the works of the devil. And the earth is better because I was here. I just want to suggest to you that God placed you here to solve some problems. And this world is going to be a better place once you leave it. Your purpose is an answer to a problem. So if that's true, if my purpose really is an answer to a problem, my third point is this: then living in my purpose becomes problematic for my adversary. First Peter 5:8, the Bible tells us this it says, stay alert or be sober and vigilant. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. Okay, if you're gonna start living in your purpose, your purpose becomes problematic to the adversary. You are a problem solver. Satan is a problem instigator. You exist to solve the problems that Satan created. That's why you are here. So, guess what? That means your life's agenda is gonna come in direct conflict with his life's agenda. I'm here to solve the problems someone else created. I know this about Jesus, even before he was born. Satan knew he was going to be a problem. That's why he tried to have him killed from his birth. Herod sets out to kill all babies, all, all male babies, two years and under, because Satan recognized the problem that Jesus was. Let me take it to the Old Testament real quick. Pharaoh killed babies, but guess what? Moses showed up anyway. You get into the New Covenant, Herod killed babies, but guess what? Jesus showed up anyway. America's notorious for killing babies, but guess what? God's still going to show up anyway. Ooh, I just hit a hot topic button all of a sudden. Don't he, he better not talk about abortion. Okay, well, let me just say this. Okay, let me just say this. Because I, I know it's, it's an issue for so many of you. I just need you to know that Satan understands the threat you are before you even showed up on this planet. He understands the threat you are before you ever even discover who you are. Your purpose is problematic for the adversary. And if you don't believe me, look what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's masterpiece. Maybe you don't know who you are, but you are his workmanship. And you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When? Which God prepared in advance. Before I even showed up, God had a purpose. I'm not trying to convince you politically. I'm just simply telling you whether or not you believe life happens at conception or not, God knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. And he had a purpose for your life before you even showed up on this planet. He prepared those things in advance that this might be my way of life. Can I get an amen from somebody who at least believes God knows all things? (laughs) Lastly, I just want to say this. Your purpose, then, though it is problematic for Satan, your purpose doesn't require perfection. But it does require freedom. Okay, I will. Thank you. Your purpose doesn't require perfection, because, baby, you ain't it. But it does require you to be free if you're going to live in your purpose. I understand how this works because I've been I've been pastoring a long time and I've dealt with a lot of, of Christians. And I recognize that we all have these periodic episodes where we are struggling with certain temptations. Periodic time periods in our walk with God, we are just struggling with certain sins. And I need you to know it's one thing to have imperfections. It's one thing to have failures and faults and flaws and weaknesses, but it's another thing entirely to be ensnared by something that you have to then go and ask permission from first. Can I go and do what God has called me to do? Can you release me long enough for me to fulfill my purpose? Some of you, you've got more than imperfections. You are completely entangled and ensnared by sin and you can't find any way out. And I need you to know today that God is not looking for perfect people. He wants to set you free so you can fulfill your purpose. When God told Moses, he said, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. My people are captives. My people are in bondage. I want my people free. Why did God want them free? He wanted them free so they could come out and worship him. That's what he told. Tell Pharaoh to let them go so they can come and worship me. Why can't we worship where we are? You can't worship the way you were created to worship when you're bound up by certain things. I need my people free so they can worship me. I just need help for just a moment. Would you just kindly just shake somebody next to you and just let them know God needs you to get out so you can go up. There's a higher place he's calling you to. There's another level he's desiring to bring you to and he needs you to come out so you can go up. Tell my people they can only worship me the way I created them to worship me when they're free so your purpose doesn't require perfection but it does require freedom I need to be set free and guess who knows that your enemy knows that and one of the ways that he tries to stop you from solving the problems that you were created to solve is by entangling you to something or someone that's actually opposed to God's purpose for your life hmm Samson was actually told by his parents, don't go down there and mess with them Philistine girls, bro. That is bad news. Why can't you find a, a, a girl here in, in her own tribe, from your own people? Now, I'm not in any way suggesting it all, okay? And I'm not suggesting at all, any kind of, oh, you shouldn't marry anyone outside your color. That's not, that's not what he was saying. They were saying, we know what the Philistines worship. We know what the Philistines are about, find somebody who believes what you believe and has the values you have. That's what they were telling them. And get together with them. But not Samson. I like what I like. And I'm going to get what I want. And so he pursues this woman named Delilah. And Satan sees, huh? I can keep this man from solving the problems he was born to solve. If you didn't know, Samson's verse was actually a miracle. His mom couldn't have any babies. She was barren. But the Bible tells us an angel showed up and let her know this son that you were going to give birth to, he's going to be separated unto God. And he's going to actually begin to set God's people free from their enemies. So he had a purpose. Satan knew that purpose. So he said, the only way I can keep him fulfilling his purpose is to find something that he can be entangled in. He wants my hands tied so I can't fix what I was born to fix. He wants my hands tied up. My life entangled, so I can't solve what I was born to solve. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you can even have faith. But guess what? If you don't have freedom, I just came to help somebody here today. I'm glad you got faith, but if you don't have freedom, Satan's trying to keep them entangled. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that if we are not aware of Satan's schemes, then he actually has an advantage over us. Bears fans in the house? Bears fans? Bears fans? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, you a couple you representing today. Hallelujah. Bears fans. At least from what I saw last week, you were at a disadvantage. You were supposed to lose. You were the underdogs. Even though it was a home game. You were meant to lose. But guess what? Woo! When I'm aware of not just my enemy, but when I'm aware of my surroundings. That game was amazing just because I felt like just one giant slip and slide. Y'all see that? It was just so much fun to watch. And, and at the end of the game, the, the team who was supposed to lose ended up winning because they understood the scheme, and the plan, and what needed to happen. And therefore, the enemy no longer has an advantage over me because I'm aware of his schemes. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he said, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We all know Satan's going to do what Satan does, right? We already know that. He's going to do what he does. It's another thing entirely, though, to know how is Satan going to do what he does. In Samson's life, he falls into bondage. And I need you to know this. Bondage never comes to us looking like bondage. I can see bondage. I'm not jumping into that. That's crazy. Bondage always comes to us looking like something beautiful. Danger never shows up looking like danger. Danger shows up looking like Delilah. Bondage shows up looking like Delilah. Now, let me me be clear. Delilah is, I'm not talking about some woman in your life, okay? Delilah here represents anything that you're attracted to. Come on, when you first meet Delilah, ooh, girl. Maybe she ain't a girl. Ooh, boy. You is attractive. You is exciting. You is enticing. You are fulfilling. Ooh. I know you're a little seductive, but you sure is fun. Fun. And it is fun until you lay with it long enough. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what was fun in one season becomes fatal in another. Mm-hmm. Because bondage always shows up looking beautiful. I, I, for those of you who are meeting me for the first time, I need to know that I get in trouble a lot for being too honest. Okay? A lot of people don't like me, not just as a pastor, but as a person, because I'm just too honest. I just, not only will I tell you like it is, but I'll tell you how I'm doing, and what's really going on, you're just like, oh, crap, I don't need to hear all that. Okay? You're just too honest for me. Okay. I'm okay with that. Because honestly, I actually understand why so many Christians are attracted to Delilah. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm actually here to, to, to let you know I, I sympathize. On some levels, I, I empathize. I know what it's like to be attracted to something that isn't God. To be pulled by it. And the reason that Delilah is so attractive is because you know what she does? She meets a real deficit in your life. There's something you're looking for, you're searching for and she meets that deficit. And so you're you're drawn to her. And and I understand that she meets a real deficit, but the problem is she doesn't meet it in the right way. Hmm. Why does something so wrong feel so right? If loving you is wrong, I'm just gonna, I was going to come on. She meets a deficit that is real in my life, and that's why it's so hard sometimes to get out because getting out means I have to go back to living the way I did before this deficit was met. See, the issue with Delilah isn't the way you feel about Delilah. The issue with Delilah is the way Delilah makes you feel about you. Hmm? Girl, is killing you so None of us, I think, would fall in love with something that, that abruptly is trying to kill us. But we fall in love with something that's feeding us. Even if it's 80% death, it's feeding me 20% life. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to it. And, and I'm attracted to it. And, and it's the area of my life where I've been empty. And, and it's feeding that area. Whoo, people are shutting me. I can feel this already. Just, I don't want to hear any more of this. I don't need him talking about what's going on in my private life. It's my private life, Pastor. I'm just trying to tell you, it's, it's sure, it's your private life, but it's killing you softly, slowly. And ultimately, the power that Samson had, the purity that Samson had, it was all lost. Why? Because he preferred the lap of Delilah more than the presence of his God. Look at verse 17 again. Delilah knew she could do nothing about Samson's strength. The only way she could actually get through to his strength was to get his heart. Look what happens in verse 17. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. He told her all his heart. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. And I would become as weak as anyone else. Verse 18. Delilah then realized she had finally heard the truth from her man. He's finally told me the truth. And so, guess what she did? She's about to get that money. So, she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back. Come back. He's finally told me the truth. Come back. He's told me his secret. His secret wasn't his hair, ladies and gentlemen. Samson didn't have a hair issue, Samson had a heart issue. This so it was all about the entire it was a heart issue getting his haircut was just the outer sign of, of the inner condition of his heart i'm going to give you a free scripture and i love this verse but but you you if you grab a hold of this i promise you you will feel protected Proverbs, the, the, the book of wisdom t- says in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it, out of your heart, flow the issues of life. I hear Christians all the time trying to rebuke Satan and say, Satan, stop causing these issues in my life. Satan doesn't cause your issues. Your heart causes your issues. And if Samson would have just guarded his heart, the would have never manipulated him. Guard your hearts. What I see in this world is it is desperately trying to contaminate our hearts with lust. Desperately trying to contaminate our hearts with racism. Desperately trying to contaminate our hearts with greed and arrogance and dare I say it, political divisiveness. It's trying to contaminate us against one another. And many of us, we've given our hearts over to people. We've given our hearts to our careers. We've given our hearts completely to ideals or to causes that have captivated us. But what happens in the end? In the end, they completely devastate us. And they, sometimes they just flat out betray us. And now we're left broken, confused, and angry, sometimes suicidal, because I no longer see a purpose. Can I just tell you today, there are some things that you can entrust to no one else Amen. but God. Those of you who have had, if ever felt God mend your heart, can you just say amen? amen? People broke it. Things broke, but God mended it. And let me take it a step further. I need to hear from the people who have given their heart to God, and God has protected it from the things that tried to break it and hurt it and, and, and caused pain in my life. God's protecting me because I've given it my heart. Let me wrap up right here. The Philistines knew that they could not win this fight against Samson's strength. So instead, they tried to discover his weakness. The guy is too strong for us. He, he killed a thousand of us with the jawbone of a donkey. There's, there's no way we can stop his strength. So let's try to discover his weakness. And guess what? We'll let his weakness destroy his strength. You know who they're taking the playbook from? They're taking the playbook right, right from Satan. There's something in the Bible called the law first mentioned. And the law first mentioned usually establishes how a thing is going to go. The first time that Satan is mentioned in Scripture, guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to deceive and entice Adam and Eve into destruction. He can't mess with their strengths, so he tries to find their weakness. And in that, their weakness destroys their strength, this is the way Satan has been operating all throughout scripture. And I need you to know today, when Satan looked at you, he says, I can't take him in her, his strength. I can't stop her when she's in her strength. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to get him to destroy himself. I'm going to try to get her to use her weakness against her strength. Yeah. I may not ever be strong where I'm weak. So I must learn to be smart where I'm weak. I'm say it again. I might not ever be strong in the areas where I'm weak. So I have to learn to be smart. Let me tell you when it's too late to say no. Not when he's already at the front door, girl. You're going to let me in? You need to say no the moment he sends a text message. Can I come over? If you like it, then put a ring on it, bro. And then we'll come on over. Oh, watch out. starting to get the glares now. Here they come. Here they come. I have learned this about myself. I have to learn to make a decision about my weakness before I have to make a decision about my weakness. I I have to say to myself, by the time I lay my head in Delilah's lap, it's already too late to say no. I've got to make up my mind before I ever even get over to the crib, no sleeping in that girl's lap because I know nothing good comes from this. Come on, somebody. Maybe your issue isn't a person, but you know that thing that is pulling you and enticing you, and you've got to learn, I'm not stronger than my weakness, so I've got to be smarter than my weakness, and I'm going to set up some parameters I'm going to get some accountability. I'm going to have some people tell me, don't go down that path. No, God has got better for you. There's a purpose on your life. It's not, don't forfeit it for that. Sometimes I have to learn that I'm not strong enough. I'm not stronger than my weaknesses. So I've got to be smarter than them. And I have to decide Make a decision about my weakness before my weakness makes a decision for me. Most of what is killing us isn't doing so abruptly. It's softly. Hmm. Pastor, this sermon's killing me softly. Okay, cool. (laughs) So let me wrap it up. Verse 19. Look at this. Not an abrupt death, the slow fade. Delilah lulled him to sleep in her lap. And she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his head. In this way, she began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And just like every other time, she called out, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when Samson awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. This had already happened three previous times. I'll just do what I've done before. This, and this next part is probably one of the, the scariest verses in all of Scripture. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He played with his calling, his purpose, his power so much, he didn't even recognize when it was gone. Then the Philistines seized him. Check this out now. You think he's going to die? Nope. They gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze shackles and forced to grind grain in the prison. His enemies, the ones he was born to defeat, the problem he was born to solve, the whole reason of his miraculous birth, he was supposed to defeat His enemies, because his enemies had God's people captive and oppressed. And now the people he's meant to destroy have now captured him, bound him, and gouged out his eyes. Why bound? Because wherever you are bound, it also has you blind. I try to tell people all the time, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't don't be a part of that. God doesn't want that for your life. and And they're so bound, they can't even see. That's what bondage does. It takes your vision. My hands, the enemy binds my hands up because he's trying to stop my work. He's trying to stop me from accomplishing what I'm here to accomplish. This is my assignment. So the enemy tries to bind my hands, but he doesn't stop there. He tries to gouge out my eyes. What are my eyes? It's my vision. It's my dreams. It's my hopes. It's my look at the future. And the enemy tries to remove my vision so I can no longer see with hope and create and dream what Samson was born to do. Now he's bound by, born to defeat this enemy. Now he's bound by them. But I love the Bible because it doesn't end there. Because unbeknownst to Samson and unbeknownst to his enemies, Though he was bound, God was working on his freedom. Look at the very next verse, verse 22. But before long, the hair of his head began to grow again. Maybe, just maybe you're that person who feels like Pastor, I have messed up so badly that God could never love me. God could never fully forgive me. God could never use me. I have royally screwed up. Then all I want you to do is go back and read Judges 16 and remember what God did for Samson. I don't encourage this, but maybe you did the milk crate challenge last year. I don't know. And more than likely, you probably end up in a fail. But Tiana, just give that quick little slide because every now and then I saw somebody. See, I thought I'm all the wrong choices but God still loves me anyway I came to remind you ladies and gentlemen God never gave up on Samson and he will never give up on you as well I need somebody to say thank you Lord I praise you Lord God you remember why you created me you remember the potential you put inside of me there was a purpose to my birth God you created me for greater things so I praise you that you never give up on me Stand your feet with me today. All over this room, stand your feet with me today. If you're physically capable, stand your feet with me. I want to tell you this. If God only used perfect people, nothing would get done. Can I say it again? Some of you come in here and you think that Christians are perfect, and I wish we were, but we're not. We're just not. But guess what? The kingdom of God is still advancing because God's not looking for perfect people. God's looking for surrendered people. who God, your will be done. I'm going to be free from sin so I can just do your will. What does God use? He uses ordinary people, even with our weaknesses, even with our faults, our shortcomings. Sometimes we fail in big ways. Sometimes we make the stupid choice to go up the milk crate, And thank God, when it's all falling around me, his grace is enough to get me through. Sometimes he's just there to cover me. Today, if you feel like Samson, what should I do? What should I do? Do what Samson did. I didn't read the verse, but what ends up happening is he begins to repent. In his repentance, he says, Lord, if you'll remember me one more time, just one more time. And he turns his heart back. Delilah, you've screwed up my heart. Whatever that thing is that that has drawn you, you screwed it up, so I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it back to God. Hear God, you were supposed to have my heart all along. You can put the pieces back together. And when Samson repented, God restored. Hear me, somebody. When Samson made the decision to repent, God restored what he lost. And the Bible tells us his strength came back. And he actually destroyed more of his enemies in his death than in his entire life. I'll get to that next week. All over this room, if you can, we just for a moment, can you just close your eyes with me right now? And hear me in your spirit, please. God, and only God, knows your potential. You need to know this today that you can never fully bring it out on your own. You have to do it in his strength God is the one who takes our weaknesses and turns them into his strengths anyway so today I want to encourage you let God start his work in your heart today if you've never known God personally today is that day let him start the work in your heart if you've been far from God today is the day you can return and let him restore repent return and let God restore what the enemy has taken and stolen from you to my brothers and sisters that are getting baptized today you're not just going for a little swim in a tiny little pool you are making a public profession to everyone around you that your life belongs to Jesus and though you may have messed up God's not done with you yet and today is that day where you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be free and let God begin to get the glory from your life moving forward. You could be bound by sin yesterday, but today you are making the choice I'm gonna be free so I can fulfill my purpose in the earth. All over this room for just 30 seconds, can you just raise your hands to the Lord with me? Let's confess everything that we need to. Let's surrender everything that we need to. Without looking around or talking to your neighbor, let's just confess to God. The Bible tells us we don't have to confess to a man or to a priest or to a pastor. We have direct access to the Heavenly Father. So pray this with me now. Say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I confess my weaknesses. I confess my faults. I confess I am a sinner. But I believe you are my Savior. For this reason, Jesus was born to save me from the problem of sin. I put my faith in you. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you defeated death and resurrected from me. I believe you're gonna be my Lord forever and ever. My life is yours. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and praise God for the free gift of His grace.